You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome once again, everybody. My name is Josh Lewin. This is the Throwback League. And if you haven't found the website yet, that's the best place to go. TheThrowbackLeague.com has all the box scores, all the results of the games to date. And let's get a nice look at exactly what it is we're doing here. Trying to get a winner out of a 32 World Series team spread between 1974 and 2006. We've got 16 also Rams in there as well. Pennant winners that probably should have won a World Series and didn't. This time, we've got a World Series winner that absolutely should have won a World Series and did against an also-ran. Welcome to the 89 Oakland A's against the 95 Cleveland Indians. This one will be played at the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum. And we're going to start, as we usually do, by telling you about the road team. The Cleveland Indians of 1995, our pregame analysis comes from Hall of Famer Bob Costas. In the 90s, Cleveland had wonderful teams. John Hart was farsighted, one of the first to figure out, we'll sign these guys long-term, tie them up before arbitration. We'll try and maximize that window where our players peak together. When you look at that lineup, it was absolutely hellacious. Albert Bell and the young Jim Tomey and Manny Ramirez and Kenny Lofton, who was such an igniter, what a dynamic player he was, and Omar Vizquel at shortstop and Carlos Baerga, who was no slouch offensively at second base. They were a darn good team that had only adequate starting pitching. That was their relative weakness. Mm-hmm. The Braves were in the midst of that 14 consecutive division series, uh, division uh, winning run. And this was the only time that they managed to seal the deal, to close the whole thing out. And you could make a case that the 95 Indians were actually among the toughest teams that the Braves ever faced in a postseason, but they managed to beat them in six games when uh, Tom Glavin threw a masterpiece in game six, eight one-hit innings, and then Mark Wolders finished it out. Thank you, Bob. We will hear from Indians GM John Hart a bit later in the broadcast, but he will echo what Bob just said. That 95 team was a complete ball club, and even though the Indians got even closer in 97 and as close as you can get yet again in 2016 against the Cubs, Indians fans still waiting for that breakthrough, but at least they can say they've been there now. Between 1954 and 1994, the only pennant they had won was the the fictional one in the movie Major League. But in 1995, without Charlie Sheen, without Tom Berenger, they, they pulled it off. They beat Seattle in the ALCS, put up a good fight. 
before losing that World Series to Atlanta. And that Atlanta series, I think, really proved one-time honored baseball cliche, and that's the good pitching really does keep down good hitting. The Indians hit just 174 in the 95 World Series, and that would be their demise. Well, that of the Dave Justice home run in Game 6 off Jim Poole. 1995 was a strike-shortened season. The season beginning in late April, it ran just 144 games. That was a good thing for the rest of the league because the Indians at home in 95 were 54-18. and 18. Albert Bell, the scariest of many scary hitters, second in the balloting for MVP, really should have won it, but everyone hated him, so there was some bias there. He played in every game but one. He had more than 50 doubles. He had 50 home runs and a season shortened by 18 games. He led the league in runs scored, runs batted in, doubles, homers, total bases, slugging percentage. In front of him, Kenny Lofton. Behind him, Manny Ramirez and Jim Tomey, who were emerging as the best righty-lefty one-two power punch in baseball. The Indians had a great bullpen, too. They had a bona fide closer in Jose Mesa, who John Hart knew well from their days in Baltimore together. 1.13 ERA for Joe Table. 46 saves. He was second in the Cy Young balloting that year, too. Indians winning the AL Central by 30 games over the second-place Kansas City Royals. And they swept the Red Sox, beat the Mariners, we mentioned in the ALCS, Oral Hershiser, the ALCS MVP. In the World Series, well, they had to face the Braves, who had Greg Maddox, 19-2, 1.63 ERA. He and Glavin and Dave Justice, just too much for the, the Tribe to compete and complete the fairy tale run all the way. Now, as for the, the box office smash Major League, about the pretend Cleveland Indians who really did win the AL pennant, couple things on that before we leave it alone. That movie actually came out in 1989. Got to bring that up since the 89 A's are the opponent here tonight. The plot, if you don't remember, <laughs> I mean, typical Hollywood stuff here. A former Vegas showgirl inherits the team from her dead husband. Hates Cleveland, wants to relocate the team to Miami. Yes, the place where the real Indians would lose the World Series in 97, but I digress. In the movie, the Indians contract with Cleveland has an escape clause. They can relocate if their total attendance is below a certain number. So they figure they got to finish dead last to get that relocation clause. And they try to put together the worst team in the major leagues. The showgirl hires Lou Brown to manage, brings him from the Toledo Mud Hens. And during spring training in Tucson, you can see the team's shortcomings. They've got one star player, third baseman Roger Dorn, played by Corbin Bergson. Prima Donna, whose skills have faded. Uh, the only halfway decent pitcher is Eddie Harris, played by Chelsea Ross. He's a guy that does doctors the baseball, Gaylord Perry style. Here comes Pedro Serrano, the voodoo practicing Cuban import. Of course, he can't hit breaking balls, but still, there's some, uh, some Joe Boo power there for him. And the veteran catcher, Jake Taylor. has lost so much strength on his throws, he can't even reach second base on the fly. But Willie Mays Hayes shows up, played by Wesley Snipes. Rick Vaughn, played by Charlie Sheen, of course, the convicted felon who gets out of the California prison system with a fastball in the mid to upper 90s, just doesn't have any control over it, so he gets the nickname Wild Thing. Bob Euchre steals the show as announcer Harry Doyle. Some of his throwaway lines about opposing players, I think, are the best. So-and-so leading the league in nose hair, so-and-so crushing one towards South America. But in the end, the Indians beat the Yankees, blah, blah, blah. Here's what you might not know. There was a, an alternate ending where it turns out the former showgirl owner wasn't a villain after all. The whole moving to Miami thing was just a ruse 
to motivate the team and they were going to stay in Cleveland all along. Well, that twist never made the light of day. And Cleveland's Municipal Stadium was never used as the Indians' home stadium either. It was County Stadium in Milwaukee, which was kind of a, a punch in the nose. But anyway, uh, pop culture in 95, since we're already there, what else was going on? Russian President Boris Yeltsin's first words to Bill Clinton upon meeting him in 95 were, do you think OJ did it? Because, yeah, that's what we were all talking about in 95. October 3rd, just as the playoffs were about to get going in 95, O.J. Simpson acquitted of murder on both counts, and America lost its mind. Johnny Cochran's closing argument of, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit, actually somehow worked. Another famous phrase would follow soon after, no soup for you. We heard on Seinfeld just a couple weeks after that, and we needed that, Jerry. Thank you. In Cleveland, the major event besides the Indians getting good, well, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame opened up in 95. ESPN introduced us to the X Games. Starbucks introduced us to Frappuccino. And a website called Match.com was created now that everyone was starting to climb on board the Internet. Forrest Gump and Toy Story dominated at the movies. ER, Friends, and Home Improvement were big on TV when we were not watching Seinfeld. All right, now that we've set you up for 1995, here is Mike Hargrove's lineup for the showdown against the 89 A's. And it's going to be Kenny Lofton leading off in center. The veteran DH Eddie Murray follows. Albert Bells in left. Manny Ramirez in right. Jim Tomey at third base. Paul Sorrento's at first. Carlos Baerga, the second baseman. Tony Pena catching. Omar Vizquel, the shortstop and on the mound, is going to be the right-hander, Ken Hill. And what a challenge for the big righty. Facing the 89 version of the late 80s, early 90s Oakland dynasty, that's the one team of the dynasty that actually did win it all, although in very sad and somber circumstances, because as Game 3 of the World Series was about to begin at Candlestick Park in San Francisco, here's the pregame show with Al Michaels and Tim McCarver up in the broadcast booth. Will Clark the batter. The Giants have not had the lead in these two games. A 3-2 count, a split-finger fastball by Mike Moore, pounced on by Terry Steinbach, the Oakland catcher, but look at the tough throw that he had to complete the play with Brett Butler running between him and Clark. Flash forward to the bottom of the fourth inning. Dave Parker barely by inches just misses a home run. Candy Maldonado with the hesitation allowing Jose Canseco to score and he fails to get Dave Parker at second base so the Oakland A's take take well, <laughs> I don't know if we're on the air. We are in commercial, I guess. We hear you. I guess I don't hear a thing. I guess Dave Parker. Well, I don't know if we're on the air or not, and I'm not sure I hear at the moment, but we are. Well, folks, that's the greatest open in the history of television, bar none. <laughs> yes, it certainly did. We're still here. We are still, as we can tell, on the air, and I guess you are hearing us, even though we have no picture and 
no return audio, and we will be back, we hope, from San Francisco in just a moment. A lot of people at the time thought the noise from the earthquake was just an early roar overhead of the pregame fighter planes that were supposed to come across during the national anthem. Soon it became evident, no, uh, the stands are shaking. This is a major earthquake, biggest one in San Francisco since 1906. And soon enough, a snowballing sense that this was bigger than Game 3 simply being postponed. The Loma Prieta earthquake, a major crisis, 63 deaths, 3,700 injuries, a portion of the Bay Bridge collapsing. And the biggest thing the Bay Area could do a week later to aid the recovery was to play ball, resume the Bay Area World Series. They did that, and it bonded the Bay best they could in very scary, uncertain times. So the A's, who had won 104 games a year before but lost the World Series, 89 was going to be their year. Tony La Russa called it a push-button club to manage, just plug and play. You had Conseco and Stewart and company just steamrolling through September. They opened up the ALCS with Stewart outdueling Dave Steve of the Blue Jays in Game 1. Ricky Henderson, a takeout slide at second base that led to a big inning, and from there, it was carnage. Henderson in the middle of most of it. He stole second and third twice in game two, so four stolen bases overall. He homered in game three to dead center at Sky Dome. He homered twice in game four. Canseco bombed one 500 feet in game four. Upper deck in left field as all of Toronto dropped their jaws. They took the series four games to one. They would sweep the Giants, their Bay Area buddies. This after the Giants beat the Cubs. Roger Craig over his good friend Don Zimmer in the NLCS. And with the earthquake interrupting things in the World Series, Oakland won the first two games at the A's home stadium. Eventually game three, and the A's jumped out 4-0 in game four. And Seiko put it out of reach with a three-run homer to left. Dave Henderson, two home runs in the game. Cornel Lansford hit one out late. 13-7 slugfest made it uh, three games to nothing. This was game three I'm talking about. And, a chance to sweep it the next night. Game four began with Ricky Henderson homering. He hit 474 in the World Series. Even A's starter, Mike Moore, had a two RBI double early on. And when Eckersley came on to get Brett Butler to ground out, there you go. The World Championship they thought they'd be able to grab the year before and after as well. They thought in 1990 they could get one, but only the 89 team got it done. No champagne in the clubhouse, by the way. The A's wanted to respect the aftermath of the earthquake damage. They figured, ah, we'll just win it again in 1990 and we'll really celebrate then. It did not happen. Elsewhere in 89, just to frame this for you, Pete Rose, banned from baseball by Commissioner Bart Giamatti. And eight days later, the commissioner died from a heart attack. Rose's managerial replacement in Cincy, Lou Pinella, would beat the A's, as we talked about, in the 1990 Fall Classic. Robin Yount in 89 led the Milwaukee Brewers to quite a nice season. He was the AL MVP. Kevin Mitchell, the NL MVP. Cy Young winners were the Padres, Mark Davis, and the Royals, Brett Saberhagen. And speaking of the Royals, Bo Jackson with a home run and a stolen base in the All-Star game that summer. Pop culture 89, among the quotes we quoted, we said, eat my shorts, courtesy of Bart Simpson. I'll have what she's having was popular. Estelle Reiner said that and when Harry met Sally. Carpe diem, seize the day, said Robin Williams in Dead Poet Society. Meantime, the Exxon Valdez oil spill, in which the tanker hit Prince William Sound's Bly Reef. It spilled about 30 million gallons of oil in March, and the captain, Joseph Hazelwood, happened to have been drinking at the time. Salman Rushdie published the Satanic Verses, Heresy, 
left in the book, and the Ayatollah Khomeini ordered the fatwa. The Energizer Bunny was introduced to an unsuspecting public. Mary Lou Retton had been the energetic spokesman for that uh, battery company, but now it was a bunny instead, and we needed batteries to play Tetris when we weren't consumed with Sega Genesis and Nintendo's Game Boy. On TV, Cosby Show, Roseanne, and Cheers. On the radio, Every Rose Has Its Thorn by Poison, My Prerogative, Bobby Brown, Two Hearts by Phil Collins. From the ladies' tees, it was straight up from Paula Abdul, Lost in Your Eyes from Debbie Gibson, Miss You Much by Janet Jackson, Wind Beneath My Wings, thank you, Bette Midler, and uh, The Living Years by Mike and the Mechanics was, for some reason, on the radio. My wife pointed out when she saw that video, I, I don't think any of these guys are actually mechanics. Anyway, here's the lineup for the 1989 Oakland A's, the Bash Brothers in place here. On the mound, it'll be Dave Stewart. We'll get to him in a moment. But Carney Lansford leads off playing third. Tony Phillips at second. Canseco DHing Mark McGuire at first. They're going to put Ricky Henderson down in the lineup here playing left field. Dave Henderson to follow in center. Terry Steinbach, the catcher. Stan Javier in right. Mike Gallego will be the shortstop in this one. We mentioned Dave Stewart on the mound, 89 World Series MVP. Dominated the Giants in game one of the World Series, a guy that just relishes the big moment. And he had a score to settle from the year before. He had a, a shutout into the ninth, put two on, and struck out Matt Williams and Bernie Riles on fourth balls. He got Candy Maldonado to grind, uh, ground out to end it. And then he would win game three as well in a, a season where he had gone 21 and 9, 3.3 ERA. And it's four straight years, Dave Stewart will win 20 plus for Oakland. This after some time spent in his 20s with the Dodgers and the Rangers and the Phillies. Funny thing about Dave Stewart, in ALCS action, 8-0. World Series, though, 2-4. Both those wins here in 89. Next year, he'll go 0-2, matched against the former athletic, Jose Rijo. We mentioned he was World Series MVP this year. Pair of ALCS MVPs, three World Series rings, but somehow an All-Star only once. That was here in 89. He started that game at Anaheim Stadium, allowed a couple runs in the first inning. Kevin Mitchell and Howard Johnson getting him with RBI singles. Oakland native Dave Stewart almost set with his warm-up throws now. St. Elizabeth High School in Oakland. And we point out that the 1969 Little League team he was on out of East Oakland, it was Dave Stewart, Gary Pettis, Lloyd Mosby, and Ricky Henderson on the bench because he was seen as more of a football guy then, not real committed to baseball at that point. Was really just there because his buddies were. But Henderson getting ready out there now in the outfield in support of Dave Stewart. Got another super fast outfielder striding to the plate for Cleveland. Kenny Lofton leading off. Guy that had one at bat in college at the University of Arizona. That team actually supplied some extras for that original Major League movie we were talking about for the scenes shot there in Tucson. But Kenny Lofton was too busy playing basketball. His Arizona Wildcats made it to the Elite Eight when he was there. And the first pitch of the night, it is high for ball one. This year, Kenny Lofton for Cleveland, 307 batting average, seven homers, 53 runs batted in, 54 steals. When we talk about his basketball days, the Cavaliers could have used him. Mark Price and Hot Rod Williams eliminated by the Knicks in the first round at a Richfield Coliseum. Lofton stepping away from a fork ball down near his shoes. It's 2-0. and out. 
Lansford in a bit at third. Mark McGuire, same story at first for the A's. Tony Phillips at second base. We mentioned Gallego at short. The Hendersons in the outfield, along with Stan Javier. Next pitch poured in for a strike. It's two and one. Oakland in those bright home whites with the dark green and gold trim. Really more of a bright yellow than gold. Indians in the all-gray uniforms with the navy and red trim. Rock on the rubber, here's the pitch. Swing and a high bouncer near first base. Martin McGuire's got it. He'll run to the bag, and there's one out. Now McGuire didn't have more too far to come in to grab that one. Already playing in a bit, guarding against the bunt. Here is Eddie Murray now. 39-year-old switch hitter, hit 323 this year at the age of 39. 21 home runs, 85 runs batted in. Eddie Murray will keep playing up through 97, finishing in his hometown of L.A., playing for both the Angels and the Dodgers. The last three of his 1,917 career runs batted in will be in Dodger blue. He had more than 1,200, though, as an Oriole, a team for which he debuted at the age of 21, being Rookie of the Year. And he takes here on the outside corner strike one. 1977 Rookie of the Year balloting. There was an Oakland Athletic finishing a close second to Eddie Murray, Mitchell Page. Bump Wills of the Rangers was third. Dave Rosema, the pitcher for the Tigers, was fourth. Andre Dawson won the Rookie of the Year that year in the National League. As the pitch flies high from Stewart, one and one. Eddie Murray will be a Hall of Famer, eight-time All-Star. And people sometimes forget he was a three-time Gold Glover, too, at first base. Wearing that familiar number 33. Boy, what a battle of serious-looking warriors right here. Smoke, Dave Stewart, staring down steady Eddie Murray. Here's the 1-1 pitch. Swing and a high fly ball right field. Back near the warning track is Javier, but he's under it. And he makes the catch, two out. Albert Bell to the plate in a scoreless game. And I don't think Albert's 1995 season gets talked about enough. Remember, 18 games lopped off because of the strike and still 50 doubles, 50 homers. The only player ever to get that done. Call him Albert, not Joey. He was Joey when he first came up. Takes ball one outside. Boy, it's another stare down of the Surly here. Stewart and Bell. Bell played at LSU collegiately. He's now 28 years old. And the overall numbers this year, it's not just 103 extra base hits. Got a 317 batting average, too. Next delivery, swing and a miss at the fourth ball. It's one and one. 100 extra base hits is quite a feather in a cap in Major League Baseball. Todd Helton will have 103 in the year 2000, although 71 of those 103 at Coors Field. Bell, 103 here in 1995, and remember, did that in 144 games. Chuck Klein back in 1930, Lou Gehrig for the 27 Yankees. Babe Ruth is the standard bearer. Back in 1921, he had 119 extra base hits. Next highest total that year was 80 extra base hits. Ruth had nearly 120. Pitch to Bell is high, 2-1. If you want to go the other way on extra base hits, 
Juan Pierre in 2002 won until May 5th without a single extra base hit. First five weeks of the season playing every day. Mike Gallego, who's in this game, 1995 Oakland A's, 120 at-bats at one point without more than a single. That is tough to do. Here's the pitch. In at the knees, called a strike two and two now. Nobody on, two out. Dave Stewart against these 95 Indians, and he'll end his major league career in 95 back here with the A's. He, of course, went off to pitch for Toronto in 93 and 94. But he came back and ended with a bit of a thud in 95 here in his hometown. 3-7, and seven, ERA of 6.9. His last game, just shy of 39 years old, was just after the All-Star break that year in Milwaukee. He allowed eight runs on three home runs and just two innings of work, and that was that. 2-2, two and two, the count to Bell. Here's the kick, here's the pitch. Swing and a missed strike three. He got him with that fourth ball. So the 95 Indians turned away in the top of the first. No score, and here's a word from one of our sponsors in 1995. Can your radio do this? Only one radio can give you stereo sound this big, yet is small enough to fit almost anywhere. The extraordinary new wave radio from Bose. Press the remote control and hear sound from a radio like you've never heard before rich sound that fills the room. You hear music the way it was meant to be heard. Clear, full, incredibly lifelike. You've got to hear the wave radio to believe it. And now you can, in your own home. Satisfaction guaranteed. Call us toll free to learn how, and we'll deliver the wave radio to your door. Experience big stereo sound from a radio. Call today for more information. It will make a difference in the way you listen to music. A big difference. As for something you can get into right now here in 2020, let's suggest checking out our good friends at Coffee, Bean, and Tea Leaf. Since we're here in the Bay Area and we're talking about some coffee now, the best, most perfectly blended coffee really on either coast of the great USA is going to be Coffee, Bean, and Tea Leaf. They've been around since 1963 and they've been bringing you the finest coffees and teas from all around the world. Responsibly sourced ingredients, handcrafted coffees and teas, it's an experience like no other. And We can't thank them enough for being the sponsor here of the Throwback League 2020. Ken Hill on the hill, wearing 44 in a scoreless game here. The former Cardinal and Expo only pitched this one year for Cleveland, but he did that very well. Traded in from St. Louis midseason for young David Bell and a couple other minor leaguers. He went 4-1 down the stretch for the Tribe. Then he contributed a five-hit shutout against the Mariners in the ALCS. Didn't fare quite as well in the World Series in his one start, although to his credit, he dueled scoreless into the sixth in that one, matched up against Steve Avery. Ryan Klesko got him for a long home run, and he lost that one start. But no complaints from Clevelanders about the New England native. Hill is 6'4", 200 pounds. He will move on to Texas following this year. He'll win 16 games for the Rangers, helping them to the playoffs for the first time ever. And later, he'll pitch for the Angels, the White Sox, and Devil Rays before hanging it up in 2001. We just mentioned a 16-game winner, Charles Nagy, Earl Hershiser, each had that total for Cleveland here in 95. The veteran Dennis Martinez on this staff as well. Hill, though, tonight and he will get the veteran third baseman Carney Lansford off the top. 
We mentioned Tony La Russa moving Ricky Henderson down in the order, trying to take advantage of Ricky's late season power that he's come up with. Lansford never really about power, more of a hit for average guy. In fact, he almost won the AL batting title here in 89. Little Bay Area shout out, Will Clark and Lansford both had shots on the season's final day to get it done. Lansford lost by three points to Kirby Puckett. Will Clark lost by three points to Tony Gwynn. Pitch comes in and it's in at the knees for a strike, nothing in one. No Oakland hitter has ever won a batting title. The A's moved here to Oakland in 68. They've never even had a 30-game hitting streak in the history of this franchise. Last one they've had beyond 25 games was 1938. As the pitch is up too high, the fastball one and one. Last time the A's as a team hit above 270 was in the 1930s when they were still in Philadelphia. This ballpark here is just not conducive to a high batting average. Not a great hitter's backdrop. You've got that cool air at night. But more than anything, all that foul territory down both lines. So a lot of foul balls that probably should be into the stands, they don't get into the stands or grab for outs. Here's the kick, here's the pitch. Ground ball sharply towards second by Erga. A step to his right, he's got it. Throws to first for the out, one down. And as Tony Phillips steps to the plate, we'll set that defense for you. It is Baerga teaming up the middle with the flashy Omar Vizquel. Sorrento's at first, Tomy's at third. Manny Ramirez in right, Kenny Lofton in center. Albert Bell out there in left, Tony Pena doing the catching. No score, and here is Phillips, a 30-year-old switch hitter. Hit 262 this year, kind of a down year. Though he did field the last out of the 89 World Series. Got the ground ball off the bat of Brett Butler, threw to a covering Dennis Eckersley. Pitch to the plate is high, it's ball one. Tony Phillips will leave Oakland after this 89 season. He'll join the Tigers, and his production will surge in Detroit. He's gonna get very good at drawing walks. Kind of funny because the A's are about to become known for money ball, drawing walks. Tony Phillips left Oakland and started that out in Detroit. Leading the American League in 93 in walks, 132 of them. Led the league in runs scored the year before. Pitches cut on, fouled right at the plate. It's one and one. Yeah, five good years in Detroit. Then a year with the Angels onto the White Sox for a couple of years. Back to the Angels, onto the Blue Jays, the Mets, and right back to the A's to finish up in 99. Pitch coming in, it's high and outside two and one. Outfield pretty much straight up. And Tony Phillips, we mentioned, got done with his playing career in 99, but only kind of, because he came back well after that in an independent league along with Jose Canseco. They tried to play together for the Yuma Scorpions. Canseco now on deck, by the way. Here's the pitch. Swinging a little chopper right back to the mound. Kenny Hill has got it. Takes his time and lobs to first, two away. And here is Canseco, last year's MVP, rookie of the year back in 86. He's 24 years old now. Limited duty in 89. Did hit 17 home runs, but in only 65 games. This was the season that he broke his wrist in spring training. 
big hulking right hand batter. And the pitch to him, swung on and fouled. It'll get down the third baseline just a bit, nothing in one. Last year was Conseco's 40-40 season. Actually, 42 homers, 40 steals. Many years ago, across the bay, Bobby Bonds hit his 38th home run of the year, September 9th of 1973, but had just one more home run the final 21 games. So he was a 39-40 guy. Pitch to Conseco outside this time, one and one. Eric Davis of the Reds in 1987 came real close. Three home runs short. He had 50 steals, but 37 home runs. And it's funny, when Conseco predicted he'd be a 40-40 man in 88, he mistakenly assumed, he said five or six players must have already done it, but no, none had. And only three others have since he got it done. Next pitch coming, that's in for a strike and under the hands of Conseco for strike two. Of course, after Conseco it became the inaugural member of that 40-40 club, Mickey Mantle was quoted as saying, hell, if I'd known 40-40 was a big deal, I'd have done it every year. Mantle's career best for stolen bases in a single season was 21. Conseco with that tight white uniform encasing that muscular physique, wearing number 33. The Cuban-born Miami native ready. Here's the pitch. Swing and a high fly ball left center, but that's not going to get out. He got just under it. Albert Bell loping over. He's there, and he makes a casual catch in front of the warning track. The inning comes to an end. We are at the end of one. The 95 Indians nothing. The 89 A's nothing. Coca-Cola, we get it already, geez. Back to 1995 now as the Indians come up in the top of the second. Let's talk some more about the Indians and how they were constructed. John Hart, the general manager who had come in from Baltimore, a disciple of Hank Peters, and now there's a bunch of disciples of John Hart all around front offices in baseball, but he did something that was pretty unusual for the time. Nobody had been locking up young players to long-term deals, but John Hart started that trend, and it actually ended up being a pretty good idea. The Indians stayed good for a while with their young core, just didn't win it in 1995. And we talked to John Hart about that. You know, we were probably uh, there for a, a nice run of, you know, seven, eight, nine years in Cleveland. Uh, the 95 team obviously was, was really the first. And, um, you know, it was a, uh, you know, it was a team that, uh, not, you know, out of design, but um, it was sort of built around having a great offense, a great defense, 
Um, you know, when you have Omar Vizquel, Kenny Lofton, you know, Carlos Bayer go up the middle. I mean, we had guys that could catch the ball. We had power. Um, we had uh, speed. We had, you know, two, three guys that could steal, you know, 40, 50, 60 bases. So offensively, you know, we were, I thought, clearly one of the great offensive teams um, really ever. I mean, we just, you know, we just had, we had it all. And um, we had a strong bullpen. Um, we always wanted to build a good bullpen and probably uh, average at best starting pitching. We didn't have, if you will, sort of a dominant number one uh, or really a dominant number two. We had some, you know, experienced guys. We had some young guys. Um, but, you know, our starting pitching was always a little bit questionable. Um, but, you know, it played. It played well for us during the regular season. It played well in the postseason for a long time. And, um, you know, unfortunately, we didn't finish the deal in our first World Series with the Braves. Um, but um, it was really the culmination of, you know, if you will, sort of a, a five-year rebuild. Thanks much to John Hart. Ahead of his time, how he assembled that Cleveland team. His Indians failed to score in the top of the second. It stayed scoreless into the bottom of the second as we move ahead to further action. After Mark McGuire flies out to deep left, Ricky Henderson a walk and a stolen base. Dave Henderson pops out, but Terry Steinbach comes through with a two-out knock, a single to right, scoring Ricky easily. one nothing for the home team. We'll move ahead. The Indians grab the lead in the top of the third. A three-run top of the third and a rare sloppy inning for Dave Stewart. Carlos Baerga with a single to center leading off. Tony Pena draws a walk. Omar Vizquel tries to bunt him over and stunningly does not get it done. Vizquel's such an amazing bunter, but this time they're able to get the runner at second. We should point out Tony Pena moves like a tortoise, and that doesn't really help. So instead of second and third one out, first and third one out, a double play would end the inning. But Kenny Lofton's not really a double play candidate, right? He comes up as the top of the order. He actually pops out into that vast expanse of first base foul ground that we had talked about. But then with two down, Eddie Murray doubling into the right field corner. Baerga and Vizquel both come in to score. That makes it 2-1 to one Cleveland. And from there, Albert Bell walks. Ramirez walks to load him up. And after an exhausting nine-pitch at bat with a bunch of high arcing foul balls, Jim Tomey works a walk. Gets the RBI, makes it 3-1. to one. A very cheesed off Dave Stewart then recovers. He jams Paul Sorrento with a meager little pop-up. But the damage done, 3-1 to one, all the way into the top of the sixth. So let's go to the top of the sixth. The A's really doing nothing against Canna Hill. Hill, a forkball guy just like Dave Stewart. Stewart back out there to face the cleanup man, Manny Ramirez. 23 years old. The Indians' right fielder hit 308 this year, 31 home runs, 107 runs batted in. He swings and misses here for strike one. I've got Ramirez staring down the veteran Dave Stewart, who leads a solid rotation here for Oakland. Stewart, 21 wins. Storm Davis and Mike Moore with 19 each. Bob Welch with 17 and an ERA of three on the button. The forgotten fifth man of the rotation, the lefty Kurt Young, future Oakland pitching coach, with the occasional spot start from the likes of Todd Burns, Matt Young, and the big lefty Dave Otto. Next pitch coming, that's high for ball one, one and one. Well, beginning next decade, beginning in the 90s, the A's will have lined up what they figure are four can't-miss prospects. And you know what? They'll all miss. 
Kirk Dressendorfer, Don Peters, David Zancanero, and the immortal Todd Van Poppel. They were called the Four Aces after the 1950s singing group, Love is a Many Splendored Thing and whatnot. Pitch is ladled in low, two and one now. Boy, that, that one just missing, but it is two and one. Now the A's, for all their great pitching decade to decade, I mean, these guys now that we just mentioned go back to Catfish Hunter and Vita Blue, Steve McCaddy, Mike Norris, Bob Welch, Hudson Mulder Zito. You know, the last A's pitcher to lead the league in strikeouts, Lefty Grove in 1931. And again, it's subtle, but even strikeouts are taken away from Oakland A's. If you're a pitcher, you don't get a lot of opportunities, or at least not as many as you'd think, because you get foul outs. You get a, a one-strike foul out that should be 10 rows deep back into the crowd, but because these stands are pushed way back, it never gets to one and two. That ends right there. No chance to strike the man out. Ramirez deep in the box, he's ready. 3-1 ball game, here's the pitch. Swing and a high drive, crank deep to left. No doubt about it, this one long gone. Manny Ramirez parks one, it is four to one. Oh, and Ramirez kind of styling around the bases. Dave Stewart doesn't look real pleased about that. Stewart a competitor, he'll shake it off. I don't think Stewart liked the call though on the pitch that preceded that two and one offering. He I'm sure thought it should have been one and two. Ramirez touches up right now. 31 home runs back in the regular season. He'll end up with 555 in his career before it's all said and done. And here comes Jim Tomey, who will end up with 612. And one RBI shy of 1,700, right around what Eddie Murray had. And yes, like Murray, a surefire Hall of Famer. This year, Tomey at the age of 24, 25 home runs, 73 runs batted in, and he takes strike one from a visibly upset Dave Stewart. Tomey, early in his career here, is playing third base. Indians always seem to have a veteran there, not a young player. Greg Nettles, Buddy Bell, Toby Hara, Brooke Jacoby, Matt Williams, Travis Fryman, all veteran guys, but... Jim Tomey now, before he'll move to first eventually, he's the third baseman, and he takes high here. It's one and one. We're talking about moving positions. The Indians, as a collective, they had a chance to do that. And I, I think a very interesting dilemma. 1994, they were basically asked by Major League Baseball, you guys want AL Central or AL East, since we're going three divisions now. The marketing people said East. Keep the Yankees rivalry, get the good start times on the road for TV purposes. Baseball people said, no, 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 we want Central because by default we can win this division every year. We don't have to compete with Boston and New York and Toronto. Baseball people want out. There's a pretty good idea. The pitcher's fouled the plate, two balls and two strikes. Sure enough. 30-game lead in the AL Central for the Indians here in 95. Kind of reminded you of their 1954 season in terms of the dominance. 111 wins for that team, but that 54 team was swept by the New York Giants. Willie Mays, the hero on defense, robbing Vic Wirtz in game one. Next delivery to Tomey. He is rolled on the ground at first. Mark McGuire near the line has got it. Goes to the bag, one down. 
one ball game. Here comes Paul Sorrento now. Sorrento kind of a forgotten man on the 95 Indians. The big sluggers and the speedsters get all the headlines, but the Indians with some solid role players too, like Sorrento and Wayne Kirby and Alvaro Espinosa. Dave Winfield on this Indians team for a bit too. At the age of 43, he didn't play that much, but there's another Hall of Famer to mention in a poppy field of Hall of Fame sluggers all over these dugouts here in Oakland tonight. Pitch coming and it's high for ball one. Action begins in the bullpen. We were talking earlier about some of the massive career home run totals from Indians players in this game tonight. Winfield on the bench, 465 career home runs. Well, Manny Ramirez, 555. Tommy, 612. Eddie Murray, 504. Think about the A's players in this game. Canseco, 462. McGuire, 583. And that's about the RBI total in Sorrento's careers, right around 583. Sorrento, usually a 20 home run a year guy at best. For the Indians and Twins, most of his career, a little time with Seattle, too. Next pitch comes from Stewart. This ball hit well, taking off to left center field, opposite way. This ball is gone, barely over the wall. It is another home run. It is 5-1 to one at Cleveland. Now, this is a bit of a harbinger of the NBA Finals now. A bunch of Clevelanders coming out here to this parcel of land and sticking it to the favored team from the East Bay. Eric Plunk still working in the bullpen. 5-1 ball game now as Sorrento goes the other way with a home run, second home run of the inning. And here's Carlos Baerga. Switch hitting second baseman, hit 314 this year. 15 homers, 11 steals. Only 31 strikeouts in 600 trips to the plate. He takes low, the fork ball, it's 1-0. Baerga in the middle of a six-year run with the Indians, originally Padres' property, and eventually part of the Joe Carter deal to get him to Cleveland. And he takes a fastball strike right down the heart of the plate, one and one. Five to one, the 95 Indians leading now. And Baerga, an all-star the last three years into this one, but not here in 89, or excuse me, here in 95, I should say. And soon enough, He'll move on to the New York Mets and not perform very well at all. Santruce, Puerto Rico native. Here's a pitch to him. Swing a little roller towards short. Gallego's got it. A step to his left, he'll fire to first, two down. Now it looks like Stewart will get at least one more batter here. Tony Pena coming up. He has not had a hit yet in this game. He and Sandy Alomar Jr., quite the catch and combo. Alomar on the bench for this one is a 300 hitter with 21 home runs. Pena, the veteran gold glover, still contributed a 262 average this year and five home runs of his own. He swings and fouls one up the first baseline, nothing in one. Pena actually caught the majority of the Indians' games in 95, hit only one at 95. But he had the walk-off home run with two outs in the 13th in game one of the division series against Boston. Pitch here flies outside. It's one and one. He'll end up with the White Sox and the Astros in 97, two teams that will eventually play each other in the World Series in 05. 
by then, Pena managing the Royals in 05, managed him 02, 03, 04 as well, was manager of the year in 2003. Next delivery, swinging a high chopper to short, but right there is Gallego, plans, fires, got him. Final out of the inning. However, it's a big inning. Two more runs added on, five to one for the 95 Indians. And Ken Hill, by the way, will end up going six innings for the Tribe. Four hits allowed, just the one run. And to help him along after he was back in the dugout, one more run scored in support of him in the eighth inning to drive Dave Stewart from the game. His final line, seven and two-thirds, nine hits, six runs allowed. Uncharacteristically walked more than he struck out, five versus four. Jim Corsi pitched after that, allowed yet another run in the top of the ninth on the second home run of the game from Manny Ramirez. Meantime for Cleveland, after Hill departed, Eric Plunk, two scoreless hitless innings, but Black finished up in the ninth with a hitless inning as well. If you check the box score this one, you'll see Plunk pitch the seventh and eighth for Cleveland and pitch part of the ninth for Oakland after Corsi gave up the home run. That's why we love the throwback league, Plunk against Plunk, depending on the matchup. That can actually be a thing. Anyway, here's your final. Your final line score, the Cleveland Indians of 95. Seven runs, 11 hits, no errors. The 89 A's held to one run on four hits, no errors. Hill over Stewart and the 89 A's, they were a World Series winner. They're eliminated in the throwback league in a second round matchup. The three seed goes down hard at home to an upstart 11 seed. And the reward for the 95 Indians down the road, they will get the 85 Kansas City Royals featuring the two Bretts, George Brett and young Brett Saberhagen, who's a Cy Young Award winner at the age of 21. In this one, though, Ken Hill, the surprising man of the match, backed by the two homers from Manny. Again, the final score, the 95 Indians, 7. The 89 Athletics, 1. Next week on the Throwback League, we got a 1 seed hosting a 9 the nine seed is the 74 L.A. Dodgers. They will go to Michigan and Trumbull. The 84 Tigers are waiting at Tiger Stadium. It'll be Milt Wilcox against Al Downing. We'll talk to you then. Josh Lewin saying thanks so much for being a part of the fun here at the Throwback League.